Border insanity. All right. Now, I always tell you guys, when you watch the No Spin News, good to have a pen and a paper. Okay? So we're going to put some information up on a full screen. First full year Donald Trump took over, 2017, there were 415,000 apprehensions at the southern border. The next year, 2018, 521,000. So a pretty big leap. Then in 2019, a colossal leap in border apprehensions, almost a million, 977,000. But then in 2020, the year of COVID, the apprehensions dropped by 50 percent, 458,000, okay, from 977 to 458. That's pretty stunning. Now, the reason that happened was because the Trump administration put into effect a policy that said, if you're going to apply for asylum, you have to wait in Mexico. Simple as that. You can apply and the United States will do the paperwork, but you can't stay here while we do it. You got to stay in Mexico. That stopped much of the migrant intrusion into the USA. Now, as soon as Joe Biden got elected, he knocked that out. My question, because you know I'm a simple man, and I talked about this today with Hannity on his radio program. So my question is, why? Why did he knock it out? Who does that benefit? Does it benefit migrants drowning in the Rio Grande River? Does it benefit tens of thousands of children crammed into Border Patrol spaces? Who, who is benefiting here outside of the drug cartels, which charge thousands of dollars to every migrant to allow them to cross in here? So who does it benefit? I still haven't got an answer to that. Nobody knows. So um, you basically have a situation where finally, under massive pressure, the Biden administration did let some journalists into these facilities that are housing hundreds of thousands of migrants. And there they are. You can see it. I mean, it's crazy. And these are children, many of them, under the age of 18. So we are on track right now, the year 2021, for a million, a million migrants to come into this country. I mean, it's just stunning. Now, we don't even know how many people get in and the Border Patrol has no contact with them. All right. So there are uh, there's a nickname for them. They're called gotaways, gotaways. That's the Border Patrol uh, nickname for people they don't catch. Nobody knows how many gotaways there are. These are just people the Border Patrol confronts. Right? Some of them turn themselves in. Some of them are just caught. But the gotaways, nobody can calibrate. So a new poll from uh, NPR asked a very simple question, and I like simple questions. Do you approve or disapprove of how President Biden's handling immigration? Approve 34 percent, disapprove 53 percent by party. Democrats approve 66 percent because Democrats are going to approve of everything Joe Biden does. There isn't anything that he can do bad. Now, there were Trump supporters who did the same thing, to be fair. Disapprove in the uh, Democratic Party, 23 percent. Republicans approve 5 percent. Disapprove 89 percent. Independence, and here's the key, approve 27, disapprove 53. So, again, uh, all added up, disapprove 53 
approved 34, unsure 14, NPR poll. Um, the last thing I want to tell you is that according to the Washington Post, not a reliable source of information, but I got to tell you when they report something, 14% of all the migrant minors have tested positive for COVID. That's a lot. That's a lot. Joining us now, Stephen Miller. He, uh, one of the architects of the Trump immigration policy, and he's coming to us from Florida today. Senior White House advisor to President Trump. I want to just walk through this because, as you know, I'm a very simple man. You're much smarter than I am. I don't want to get confused by what you tell me, Mr. Miller. All right. Number one, when Donald Trump took over as president, there were caravans, thousands of people coming here. And for the first three years, they just came and came and came. What drove that? So the problem of illegal family migration and illegal minor migration really began in earnest in 2013 and 2014. And this was the problem known as catch and release, where people would make asylum claims. Those claims take weeks, months, even years to process. So they would be released into the interior. And so large caravans took advantage of this in uh, coordination with smugglers to simply turn themselves in in huge numbers into the Border Patrol. We spent three years fighting the ACLU, fighting radical left-wing judges, and fighting activist injunctions to ultimately put in place a program to end catch and release. Once we did that, once if you were apprehended, you were sent to either Mexico or a safe third country, pretty much all caravans stopped. So you put up the numbers earlier of 2016, 2017, or 2017, 2018, and 2019. What happened in 2019 is the media started paying attention to the caravans. Word started spreading pretty widely in Latin America. Things started to explode. Fortunately, we got the Remain in Mexico policy in place. We got the Safe Thirds in place. And people will tell you that by early 2020, it was a solved problem. Every single family that illegally came into the country was either sent home, sent to Mexico, or sent to a safe third country. There were zero releases, and therefore almost no large groups coming to our border. All right, so it took you three years to get to that point. How did you finally get that policy into play? Well, we fought a lot in the Ninth Circuit, and that ping-pong back and forth. We were sued, again, by the ACLU, other far-left groups, in order to try to halt any policy that did anything in effect but release illegal aliens. So it wasn't just the Remain in Mexico, though that obviously is one of the most crucial ones, but effectively any strategy that we applied ended up going into court. So part of it was ultimately just winning those court cases, which took a while. And the second piece was getting Mexico and Central American countries to cooperate because this had never been done before in American history. So this was a first. Arguably, it's up there with some of the greatest foreign policy achievements that have ever took place to yeah, get unfortunately, Mexico it, it, these migrants right. back. Okay, so you got Obrador to put his army on both borders, the southern border of Guatemala and the northern border with the USA. How did President Trump do that? Because Obrador didn't want to do that. Yeah, so it was a combination of both hard and soft diplomacy. So we had Mexico, as you mentioned, they secured their, their northern border, 
they secured their southern border, and they also had their migration authorities all throughout the smuggling routes, apprehending and deporting illegal immigrants. And we would actually monitor that progress on a day-to-day -day basis. Plus, if they came to our border, promptly returned to Mexico. The soft diplomacy was the personal relationship between Lopez Obrador and President Trump. Economic cooperation, trade cooperation in the form of USMCA, and also counter-narcotics cooperation. So we had very active counter-narcotics cooperation going on in Mexico to try to fight these cartels. Hard diplomacy in the form primarily of threatening economic sanctions in the form of tariffs. The combination of hard and soft diplomacy yielded the biggest breakthrough in immigration policy really since 1950. And it okay. was a game changer. But we had to give Mexico money to uh, fund all of these people waiting in Mexico for their asylum requests, right? We granted them extra aid. Is that correct? We provided a small amount of support specifically for detention costs in Mexico, but right. relative to what we were spending on U.S. detention, we're probably saving $99 out of 100. Interesting. Um, how much does it cost, just generally speaking, for the United States to fly migrants back to their homes in Central and South America? You know, it's, I haven't looked at the numbers recently in terms of what those flights cost. Keep in mind that Congress already funds what we call ICE Air, which is the ICE plane fleet. And so that's already a, a sunk cost, Built if you will. In. The planes right. are there. And so, you know, probably the additional cost per head, if I had to guess, was, you know, one, two hundred dollars per person per flight. But again, but we're talking, to we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that this is costing the United States to send people back. I mean, it would have to be if you have millions of people coming in here. Yes, although what I would underscore is that it's a decreasing cost as time goes on, because what happened was, is that, again, by early 2020, we had the lowest in custody numbers in recorded history. And by in custody, meaning people that are inside a Border Patrol or ICE facility, because you're returning people to Mexico so quickly, including by land. Yeah, I, I get it. You save the money that you'd have to spend here. Now, I don't think President Trump will mind this, but in one of my conversations with him, private conversations, I suggested that he designate the Mexican drug cartels as terrorist groups. And if he had done that, which he didn't, he could have attacked them with drones, special forces. You know that um, if you're a designated terror group, the United States can go on offensive military operations against you. I strongly suspect that he didn't tell me this, that that was one of the persuaders for Obrador to cooperate with the immigration because Obrador did not want that terror designation on the cartels. Am I in the ballgame here? Well, what I would just say is that it, Lopez Obrador, unlike some of his predecessors, did have a strong view about U.S. special operations in Mexico. And so it's certainly the case that that was something that he was very much opposed to. Right. Uh, I can't really get into the details of anything beyond that. But it's also the case that cooperation between U.S. and Mexico on counter-narcotics has effectively broken down completely since Biden took over. Okay.
Last question, and this was a question that I asked Hannity today on a radio program, even though it was his program. Joe Biden has not, to my knowledge, explained why he knocked out the Wait in Mexico program. He hasn't said why he did it. Do you have any idea why the man did it? I don't think Joe Biden himself personally knows. I doubt that he really has much understanding of what's going on on the border. I suspect the advisors around him, though, are deeply committed to the idea that illegal immigration is good for the Democratic Party long term in terms of expanding its power base, that it's bad politics now, but over time, that it's good for increasing the number of Democrat voters. That's certainly their view, and I think they're fairly well committed to it. Consequences be damned for the rest of the country. But this could sink the Biden administration if the economy goes south and the immigration thing is people aren't going to forget this. That could right. be They're the playing end. with fire. They're playing with they fire. It's going to hurt them right. badly in the midterms. And more importantly for the country, it's hurting millions of Americans in the form of lost jobs, in the form of drugs, in the forms of crime, in the form of the, you know, you talk about cost. Long term, you're talking trillions of dollars in cost to taxpayers by letting in millions of illegal immigrants. Mr. Miller, thank you very much. Happy Passover. Thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. We'll talk soon, I hope. Thank you. Sorting through your expenses, estimated payments, and all those tax deductions can be overwhelming. Might even lead to a failure to file and failure to pay penalties that pile up on your tax debt. The attorneys at Tax Network USA have been lifesavers for many Americans. Their team has successfully saved clients more than $1 billion in tax debt, a billion. Whether you're in the hole for $10,000 or $10 million, they are ready to help. The expert attorneys and tax professionals at Tax Network USA are equipped to secure the best settlement for you and help you resolve all tax cases. So please go to taxnetworkusa.com slash bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. These debt relief programs are expected to change, so get started now. Please go to taxnetworkusa.com bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. So, the Oregon Department of Education, like many state departments of education, very worried because minority group test scores are not good. Okay, so instead of basically concentrating on lifting the test scores by giving minority children who are at risk um, more attention and tutoring, they're going to knock out the courses. So in Oregon, they may put in something called a pathway to equitable math instruction. Quote, the class is described as an integrated approach to mathematics that centers black, Latinx, and multilingual students, providing opportunities for ongoing self-reflection as they seek to develop an anti-racist math practice. So forget about math. Not doing that. We're doing the reason you don't know math is because society is racist. And in any math problem, there wouldn't be a right or wrong answer. Any answer that you put down is right. Now, the course guide says this, quote, 
White supremacy culture infiltrates math classrooms and everyday teacher actions. Coupled with the beliefs that underlie these actions, they perpetuate educational harm on black, Latinx, and multilingual students, denying them full access to the world of mathematics. This is just certifiably insane. So you're not going to teach minority children anymore. You're going to tell them they're victims of a racist culture so they don't have to learn math or English or history or anything. Joining us now, Jonathan Butcher. He is a Skillman Fellow in Education at the Heritage Foundation, coming to us from Greenville, South Carolina. This can't surprise you, uh, Mr. Butcher, because it's happening all over the country, is it not? That's right. It is part of a cultural shift going on in our schools right now. This equitable math can be linked to what's going on in California with the new ethnic studies program. Same things are happening in North Carolina with social studies in Illinois with a teacher training certification program. And they're connected by the ideas that you just outlined, right? That there is no authentic truth that finding the facts don't matter, that experience matters more. And like you said, that teachers train students for resistance. They're being trained to be revolutionaries, effectively. And here, even in the case of math. So what this is going to do ultimately is turn out a bunch of American children who don't know anything. Is that correct? Well, and not just with math, but it's turning math from a technical skill into an issue of civics or even ethics, which transforms us from uh, having a shared American culture, from having a shared experience where we treat people according to character into something where we are divided by tribes and where we have to treat people differently according to their tribe and that America really doesn't belong to any of us. It's a scary thing. This is a cultural shift that's been uh, ongoing now, uh, especially in the past few years. So it should be troubling really to everyone and not just because of the focus uh, away from facts. Okay, but it isn't troubling to everyone because number one, everyone doesn't know about it because the media isn't covering it. And number two, if you oppose this is sanity. Say you were in Portland, Oregon, and, and you went into the public school school board and said, look, this is crazy. Uh, I don't want my kid not to know any math. I want you to teach my child traditional math. You'd be branded a racist. You'd be called a racist if you did that. So the people who oppose it, many of them are frightened. And then the others don't know because it's not covered by the media. Am I wrong? Well, I think you're exactly right. I would add to that that what we can do is say that those who are promoting these ideas in its critical race theory is, is what is driving this equitable math, as well as what I mentioned from North Carolina and California. But what we can say to them is that these critical theorists uh, have abandoned what the civil rights movement accomplished. And that's what they're after. They actually say outright that the critical that the civil rights movement was too slow. And even that our representative government doesn't move fast enough, according to them. And the only way that their objectives of disrupting our culture can happen is through this disruption. It's through a complete departure from our shared experience of values, independent, independent um, uh, value by persons and civil society. Okay, but the president of the United States is encouraging this. 
by his equity program. You say tribes, and that's exactly what's going to happen, okay? Well, he's saying, my administration is going to favor certain people. We're going to give them things that other people don't get in America because this is equity, right? Well, and that's why the 1776 commission under the Trump administration and the 1619 project from the New York Times, that debate is very important. It's not just about history and civics. It's about shared ideas. It's about what it means for America to have a shared identity. And when the Biden administration took the 1776 commission's report and essentially made it disappear uh, shortly after he took uh, President Biden took office, that's a cultural statement, right? That's not this isn't an right. issue of history or inaccuracy. This is an issue of how we define uh, what our nation means to each of us. Look, the progressive left doesn't want a shared experience and they don't want any traditional values in America. They want socialism. And if you don't sign on to that, they don't want you to have any say or any power. That's what it really all comes down to. They're, they're training these children in, in Oregon and California, North Carolina, they're not going to be able to make a living. These children are not going to be able to make a living because they're not going to be able to speak. They're not going to be able to write. They're not going to be able to do mathematics. They, they will not be able to do it. And they're not going to get into the Ivy League schools, no matter how much Biden says he wants equity. Ivy League is going to look at their scores and go, no. So they'll be going to community colleges where they don't know anything. And I'm not running down community colleges. I'm saying that this is a pathway to dependence. That's what this is. These kids are always going to be dependent on the federal government, which is what the progressives want. Last word. Well, I think that K-12 schools are reflecting what's been happening in higher education for decades now. These critical ideas have been there forever, uh, even since uh, almost the turn of the, the 20th century. So these critical ideas are being taught in colleges. They have been developed there, and now it has trickled down into K-12. And that should be, uh, as we look for uh, what the next generation is going to look like, we need to look no further than the free speech riots and the violence on college campuses in recent years. All right, Mr. Butcher, thanks very much. We really appreciate your time today. And uh, I hate to put a, such a pessimistic face on it, but it isn't the rich white kids that are going to suffer here. Not. My kids go to private school. All right. They don't have any of this. That doesn't happen. But I got to pay. All right. And a, a significant amount of money. So my kids are going to be educated. They're going to be able to do tasks and hold a job. The poor kids are not. Spring is the perfect time to make smart financial moves like getting life insurance to protect your family. Did you know that 46% of Americans expect to leave behind debt? Policy Genius Life Insurance can cover those debts like mortgages, credit cards, car loans, college costs. In our Smart Life segment, understand that life insurance gets pricier with age and work coverage may fall short. Policy Genius simplifies by comparing quotes from top companies and ensuring unbiased advice. Their award-winning agents are ready to assist. So don't wait. Spring into action and secure your family's future. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 a year for $1 million of coverage. 
Head to PolicyGenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes. That's PolicyGenius.com. Okay, George Floyd's situation comes to trial. We are not going to try this case on television, and I hope you will keep an open mind while following the news of it. Okay? But some people have already acquitted the police officer, Derek Chavin, and some people have convicted him. All right, Chavin is the man who had his knee on the neck of George Floyd when Mr. Floyd died. He is charged with second-degree murder, second-degree manslaughter, and third-degree murder. I do believe he will be convicted of one of the charges, but I think there are extenuating circumstances in the death. But that is for the jury to decide. Now, there are 15 jurors selected, 12 that are seated, three alternates. Okay? And it seems to me I would have moved the trial out of Minneapolis, but they didn't want to, the progressives who run the state of Minnesota, because if you move it north or south, that's more conservative territory for the jury pool. So they kept there. Um, The problem with this trial is that no matter what the verdict is, there's going to be trouble. And there's going to be real trouble if the police officer is acquitted. So if the jury acquits the man, you're going to have violent riots, in my opinion. I hope I'm wrong. But if it's a second-degree manslaughter conviction, you may also have trouble. And how I know that is that George Floyd's brother is already pounding that drum. Go. We know the video is the proof. That's all you need. Uh, The guy was knitting on my brother's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. A guy who was sworn in to protect. He killed my brother in broad daylight. So why have the trial then? Why have it? So with all due respect to uh, Mr. Floyd's brother, who I'm sure is grieving and he's angry, and I would be too. Why are you doing that? Why are you going on television and doing that? Does that further the cause of justice? Now, the press is the same way. They're just salivating to get in and tear the system down. We'll cover this. We'll tell you what happens. We're not trying it. All right, so Georgia passes a new voting law because there was chaos in Georgia on the presidential vote. I don't think there was widespread corruption. I think there was some problems in Atlanta, Fulton County, but I can't prove it. I can't prove it. It's just an observational thing. Um, But the legislature and the governor of Georgia says we need to tighten up our election. Whoa, it's racist. Roll the tape. If Brian Kemp's goal over the last 24 hours is not to recall the worst aspects of racialized voter suppression, white supremacy, and the fight against Democratic representation in the Jim Crow South, well, I got to say, he's doing a very poor job of that. So that moron, and he is indeed a moron. I mean, it's just shocking that this guy could even have a national forum. He's basically insulted everybody in the South, the Jim Crow South. 
Um, no. That's not the way the South is today. But he doesn't. I don't think he's probably... It's just so ridiculously unintelligent. Okay? So, it's basically, if you pass a law that tightens up the election, makes it harder to commit fraud, you're racist. Because you're disenfranchising black voters. Why? Why? Why, why wouldn't you disenfranchise every vote? Why do just blacks are disenfranchised by elections that are tightened up? Nobody knows. Okay, let me just, I'm going to tell you five things this new law does. And you tell me whether they're racist, okay? First one, makes it a misdemeanor crime, all right, to give anyone anything while voters are waiting in line because they don't want the appearances of a Democratic ward chief coming down and giving people a Big Mac or a malted or whatever it may be. They don't want any of that. Sounds kind of reasonable, right? You're going to wait in line, you bring a water, fine. You bring a snack, fine. You bring it. Number two, allows local officials in Georgia to begin processing, but not tabulating, okay? Not counting, just putting the votes where they can be easily counted, all right, starting two weeks before the election. So the write-ins come in, they separate them so they can be easily tabulated, but you don't count them before Election Day. Sounds reasonable to me, because if you do count them before Election Day, you leak to the press. That happens all the time. Is that fair? No, not fair. All right, number three, all absentee ballots to be printed on special security paper and your precinct name will now be included along with your precinct ID printed at the top. So you have an ID number, and Georgia gives it to you if you want to vote absentee or by mail on special paper so somebody can't make up a vote. Sounds reasonable, right? Four, expands early voting access for most counties, adding an additional mandatory Saturday and Sunday. That makes it easier for everybody to vote, does it not? Is that racist? And then finally, shortens the runoff cycle. So if uh, there's a state election that hasn't gotten um, above 50% as a runoff, from nine weeks to four weeks. That racist? So none of this stuff is even remotely racist. So what the deuce is that moron talking about? He doesn't care. The, the progressive left just wants any kind of ballot accepted. Whether it's fraudulent, whether it's not, they don't care. They don't want any restrictions at all. I'll remind you that Canada and Mexico both have voter ID laws. But we can't have it because it's racist. I guess it's not racist in Canada and Mexico, but it's racist here. If we were to have a national law passed, you've got to show an ID in order to vote. So we know you're an American citizen. That's racist. Okay. Dominion Voting Machine suing Fox News for $1.6 billion. Okay. Um, 141-page complaint. They join, Fox News joins my pillow guy, Mike Lindell, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell. They're all getting sued. Everybody's getting sued. Now, you may remember, I didn't do anything about Dominion voting machines other than to say that it, the feds, the Department of Justice, should have impounded all 
not all machines, but certain machines at random in the districts where there was controversy. So random, get 10 in, we'll take a look at them, doesn't matter whether they're Dominion or anything else, to see if there's any shenanigans in Milwaukee, in Philadelphia, in Detroit. That was my recommendation. Let the feds handle this, the Federal Election Commission, because there were a lot of charges. But I didn't go well on Dominion. Why? Because I'm a journalist. Because I have no blanket idea what happened with Dominion. How could I know? How? So you don't accuse unless you have proof. But unfortunately, that happened. There were a lot of accusations made. So Dominion, obviously trying to get money. We'll let you know what happens. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been delivering on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices of America's greatest heroes. Heroes who put their lives on the line to protect our country and our communities. Heroes like Bristol, Connecticut Police Sergeant Dustin DeMonte. After responding to a domestic violence incident, he sustained fatal gunshot wounds. He left behind his expectant wife and two children. Thanks to the generosity of people like you, Tunnel to Towers paid the mortgage on the DeMonte family home, lifting a financial burden. As his loved ones mourned the decorated officer's loss, they welcomed a miracle, the child he would never get to meet. So many families need your help. Please help America's heroes and their young families. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good in their honor. 95 cents out of every dollar you donate goes to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Senator Elizabeth Warren, one of the biggest socialists in the country, she's attacking Amazon. She says Amazon doesn't pay its fair share. What's the fair share? Whatever Warren says it is. Whatever the federal government says it is. There's no fair share. So she lambastes Amazon, but Amazon, to its credit, fights back. Quote, here are the facts. Amazon has paid billions of dollars in corporate taxes over the past few years alone. In 2020, we had another $1.7 billion in federal tax expense, and that's on top of the $18 billion we generated in sales taxes for states and localities in the U.S. Congress designated tax laws to encourage investment in the economy. So what have we done about that? $350 billion in investments since 2010 and 400,000 new U.S. jobs last year alone. Amazon. Okay, so Elizabeth Warren wants to destroy that. Why? Because Amazon is a capitalistic corporation. Elizabeth Warren wants Amazon run from Washington. She wants the federal government to run it. Right, thereby looting the company and its tax, its uh, shareholders, taking 40, 50, 60 percent, all right, and putting it in the government treasury so they can dole it out to other people. That's what socialism is. But I'm glad Amazon's fighting back. Um, Pew Research Center poll. How much time do you spend on the Internet? Now, I've told you that this is a huge, growing problem in America. So 85% of Americans say they go online on a daily basis. 31% say they're online all the time. They never get off. 
48% log in several times a day, 6% say once a day, 7% don't use the internet. Only 13% of American adults are not active on the internet. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. And when you're young and you live on that internet and you're not experiencing the world, you're gonna pay a price. Cancel culture, another poll, Harvard Harris. 1,945 registered voters, all right? 64% say there is a growing cancel culture threat to their freedom. 64%. 33% say there isn't. Who are those people? Who are the 33% who like the cancel culture? That's the progressive left. Now, that's a pretty big number. So it can't all be progressives. I put the progressive number at about 20%. And the other 13, I get they're clueless. But I'm, I'm happy to see that 64% understand what this cancel culture thing is. Saddleback College. I didn't, never even heard of this, but this is great. Saddleback College is in Mission Viejo, California. It's small, obviously. Their nickname is the Gaucho. You know what a Gaucho is? There's the, there's the mascot at Saddleback. You know what a gaucho is? A gaucho is an Argentinian cowboy. They're called gauchos, and they are in the Pampas, as you remember your geography. <laughs> you know. Now, gaucho is also a cookie. It's got a little um, peanut butter flavor in it, I think. Okay, so the gaucho is just a cowboy. But... Saddleback is saying no more gaucho. Put that mascot up again. He's gone. Why? Because using the name gaucho is a cultural appropriation. It's racist and it's non-inclusive of female athletes and women in general because they're cowboys. <laughs> gone. Gaucho. I'm sorry. I'm sorry they're gone. All right. I mean, I, you know... If somebody, if some Martian came down, they go, ah, this is a satire. O'Reilly's doing a satire. That's how insane this country is today. All right, here's a, here's a good story. So there's another college. Um, and uh, it is, let me find a college. Shawnee State University. Shawnee State, Portsmouth, Ohio. So, Shawnee State says to all its professors, you have to address students by whatever pronoun they want. So it's no longer he or she. Whatever pronoun they give you, that's what you got to call them. If you don't, we're going to punish you. So, a professor named Nicholas Merriweather, 25 years teaching, okay, he's a, he teaches philosophy, religion, ethics, and the history of Christian thought. He sues because he says that Shawnee is going to either fire him and cut his pay or do something bad to him. And the suit goes his way. He wins. It's protected speech. If he wants to say he or she in a classroom, he can. And that's the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. 
That ruling was handed on Friday. You will hear this story nowhere else. It will not be reported anywhere else. And this is part of the stand up for your country. So Nicholas Merriweather and Amazon, they stood up against the madness. And Nicholas won. Boy. All right, here's the final thought of the day. I'm a big fan of Dana Carvey. You know him. Wayne's World, Saturday Night Live guy. Carvey's 65 years old. I didn't know that. One of the most talented comedians in the country. Well, now um, you'll remember that Carvey did Bush the Elder. You know, not, not gonna, you know, remember that impression? Um, now he's got Joe Biden. Roll it. Folks, come on, folks. Let's get real. I'm not kidding around here. You know, you know, we got to do the thing. We did Barack. We did the deal, you know. And, uh, you know, my dad, my dad, you know, lost his job in Scranton. No joke. No joke. I'm not being a wise guy here. He said, Pops, why'd you lose? He said, Joe, I did. My mom said, that's the cookie. But she, the crumbles, she says, we'll do it. You know, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Number one, the thing that they said, come on. Number two, the two part. Folks, three, you know, come on. I'm not kidding around. No rocket science. There's, here's the deal. That's brilliant. That is a brilliant piece of satire right there. So I know these guys, you know, I, I don't know Carvey uh, too well, but I know Norm McDonald, another brilliant guy. Miller, you know, knows them all. And then obviously Miller and I uh, go way back. And the difference now uh, on Saturday Night Live, you remember back when it first started with Belushi and Aykroyd and, and all of the brilliant guys. And then they had a kind of a fallow period. And then Carvey came in and, um, you know, uh, McDonald was there, Miller was there on Weekend Update, and they really had an edge to them. Now, it's almost like the show is prefabricated. There, there are times when it rises, but it's become so political. They got lost in the hate Trump movement, Saturday Night Live did, alienated, you know, people just want a, a few laughs, you know? I, I don't hate Joe Biden. I think he's past it. I don't think he's going to succeed. He's, I don't think he's going to help this country, all right? I think in two years, actually less than that, that the Republicans, and they're not the, the greatest geniuses, trust me on that. The Republican Party, oh, but I think they'll take Congress back because things are getting, getting bad. And the economy, if they pass that tax rise, we're all gonna get hurt. You think the gas taxes are bad? Where do you see what happens then? But I could be wrong, but to poke fun at Biden in that way, that was a gentle way. I compare that to Alec Baldwin and Trump and Carvey. I really admire his skill as a satirist because he's not mean, but he gets the point across. Thank you for watching and listening this evening. We'll see you soon.